0: Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient
1: Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary, Fran, and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey,
2: everyone. Before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about transform every week
0: of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my buddy Mary Fran Bontempo and I really, I can say this, My best friend from from the UK is here. (laughs) (laughs) We finally, finally, finally have Clark Reynolds in the house. The guy that is the... I, I think that he's actually twice as busy as I am. So people that think I'm busy, nah, Clark. Clark is the man, the myth, the legend across the pond that is changing, not only changing perceptions of blindness, changing perceptions of resilience changing perceptions of what a one person really can do in this world. Clark, I am so happy you're here, how are you?
1: Oh, really good, like I say, really busy. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what day of the week it is. Uh, I've been here, there, everywhere. I think tomorrow I'm actually booked onto a radio station live in, in the studio, so that's gonna be exciting as well.
0: Oh man, good stuff. Now now the reason that we are, i if you can't access this visually, if you're not watching the video or if you're listening, I just smile all the time when Clark talks about how busy he is, because when we met a couple of years ago, Clark came into the Zoom room in the Succeed Without Sight Summit, and he said, I am going to be a famous artist. And I said, great. I said, and he said, but people in the UK are saying a visually impaired artist is not a thing. And Clark was like, yes, it is. And then he said, and I'm bringing Braille into the art. And I was like, what now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
0: Multiple yeah, layers, yeah. multiple layers of perceived beautiful.
1: barriers. Yeah. I mean, Braille is a great icebreaker for, you know, I knew about Braille, but to physically use it. Uh, in a way that tells stories. It was meant to be. It was, I had to go blind to learn Braille and then bring Braille to the masses, basically. Uh, and, you know, people say I'm crazy, but I, I love being blind because I can't change the fact. I can't mope about in, indoors and, you know, sit on the sofa, and listen to an audiobook. That's not me, you know. And I've made so many amazing friends. I've in, engaged with so many thousands of children. Literally, this year already, I'm two and a half thousand children into going into schools and teaching braille and educating what sight loss is and that's the power of art you know and that's the beauty of art
2: you know as someone who is sighted um you know kristen has kind of introduced me to this whole world of braille and i have to say when i saw you on her summit and saw that the tactile nature of your art i was like Oh my gosh, this is like a whole different thing. Like this is an incredibly amazing way to appreciate the art in an entirely new way. And not only does it make it accessible on a level for a non-sighted person, but it makes it accessible on a whole other level to a sighted person, which which is the real beauty of this because it opens that world up to all sorts of people. Maybe not the originally intended audience, but... Oh my gosh, for a sighted person to see your work, it's amazing.
1: Well, that, that's the beauty. So I kind of like bridge the world of a tactile and a visual world, you know, foremost, I'm a visual artist, you know, I was, I was an artist before I lost my sight and we live in a visual world and I'm a visual person. So why do I change that? You know, it, it's, my art is there to be tactile, but also I, I'm catering for you, for the sighted audience. I want people to look at my artwork not knowing it's braille and look at it like oh my god that's really you know that's so vivid that's enticing and then there's big signs saying you must touch the artwork and then they're, you think what's that about touching the artwork you can't nobody's touch the allowed to do that right <laughs> yeah exactly that's, that's uh, you know that's a big no no especially when it's got a big price tag on it these days it's like that's double no no but no it's part of the story and it's a way of physically engaging with the art you know we when we go to galleries and big, you know, big ones that have barriers up like literally, you know, you're not engaging with it anymore. You know, you stand back like two metres away and you're thinking and then you look at it, you look at it for seven seconds and walk off. You've taken your time to go to a museum. And why are you spending seven seconds to look at a piece of artwork? Mm. You know, why aren't you chatting with the artwork? So my artwork allows you to chat with it, chat with strangers next to it and engage, have a conversation. You know, Clark, first of all, you
0: said Braille is an icebreaker. That is so opposite of what the world thinks, right? This, and this is what I love so much about you and why we just had to have you on this show, among other things. The, the first pillar in, in living brilliantly resilient is looking at challenges differently. It's looking through a different lens and you're teaching the world one of the most brilliant things. Braille is not a barrier or something to be like quiet about. Braille is the tool for literacy and it's exciting. I mean, it is is a, a way for people that are blind to access literacy. And the fact that no one, that's what was so memorable and remarkable and why people are still talking about you from that summit. You completely blew the roof off of how we look at something like Braille, and you continue to do it. And now all these kids that you're impacting are looking at it as exciting and and
1: access as opposed to, oh, that's different. I don't understand. That's it. We, we live in an age, you know, the kind of like the coding age. You know, kids, my nine-year-old loves coding. She loves Minecraft, you know, and Braille is just a code. It's just a new way of looking at ABC. You know, so when I go into schools and, and I teach, they don't realize that they're actually getting sneaky maths involved because Braille is a compatible language. right? so the kids are learning and then they asking questions about sight loss that adults don't ask because kids have, kids have no filter. You know, so we break down the stigma attached to what is sight loss? And uh, how can you see colors? What do you see? And then you, we have that conversation. So the idea is those kids grow up in 20 years time, we're not having this conversation, what is sight loss? That's the idea. That's the plan. You know, it's
2: interesting you're talking about this as a conversation because I'm thinking, you know, to a sighted person, sighted people just don't know how to approach blindness if, if they've had no experience with with someone who's blind. I certainly didn't until I, met, until I met Kristen and her boys, and especially Mitchell, who at first you think, oh, maybe I have to treat them with kid gloves. And then you come across Mitchell and you're like, well, the gloves are off. So... <laughs> But it allows this conversation to take place to the point of it being an icebreaker on a different level. It doesn't have to be about the blindness. It can be about the art. And then you lead it into that other space to allow for understanding, which really on some level is what all art is supposed to be. You're just adding another
1: dimension to it. It is, and what I do is I make it fun, you know. Yeah. I mean, the idea of learning a new language is oh, it's quite daunting, isn't it? You know, learning French or German, you know, and Braille is just a new language. You know? So you make it fun. And it leads itself perfectly to art. You know, the idea, it doesn't have to be a dot. I mean, behind me, it is a perfect example of that. You know, Braille is about a pattern. So behind me is a giant Union Jack. Uh, and the actual dots are made up of the silhouettes of the king and queen. And it's called Oops, I sang the wrong Monarch. Uh, so basically, it's a great feel as well because obviously you've got those lovely silhouettes of the faces. So it's a really good tactile just to feel, and it reads the national anthem, uh, but just swipping out the words. Because so obviously we had a queen for seventy years, so st- people are still going to slip up and say God when we sing our national anthem, put the queen in, you know. So I have just flipped out the words, you know, and I, you know, it's about playing around with the language, using the the, the Braille dot to host the English language. That's what I say. And I say, it doesn't have to be a dot. It's all about the pattern.
2: You could say all sorts of things in Braille to the sighted world and we wouldn't know what the heck you were talking about. So you could really have a field day with that now, couldn't you?
1: (laughs) I could. I haven't done so because I say cater for a lot of children. I haven't gone down that route yet. Uh, It's in the back (laughs) of my mind. Trust me, it's in the back of my mind. Uh, One day there will be explicitities. But um, uh, but the the idea is, I say, so... You know, I, I learnt Braille, I'm self-taught, I did it with buttons and, you know, we talk about the use of Braille in society. So I've learned it, but I want to use it, but use it correctly. You know, obviously a Braille book, but the thing is I've got audio for that. I love my audio books, but I'm talking smart Braille. The idea is go into a restaurant, there's a Braille menu. Go into mm. a lift, there's always Braille in the lift. You know, why isn't Braille on every toilet door and by the handle, not up here, you know, no one pushes the door up here. We're talking about by the handle. And then I, I push it. I know it's a male, female, unisex, disabled toilet, you know, and they're big. So you have a big those big letters like you speed read, I just speed touch, you know, that's what I want, you know, and you brand it. I'm a brow typographer, just like a typographer uses color and to, you know, show, show off the letters. I just show off the dot in color and shape and size. Love I
2: love
0: it. I love it. You know. Here's my question
1: for you, Clark.
0: and and I want our listeners to understand that if you are like knocking on doors and not getting an answer or you think you know you you've got this idea that you're you're chasing and it's never gonna happen and people are telling you you're crazy, think about being a blind artist that wants to incorporate Braille. Now, Clark, after that summit, did you just all of a sudden, you know, you go out there and everybody said, yes, Come into our galleries.
1: Sure, no problem. No, not at all. It it was hard work. You know, it's hard work being an artist anyway. I knew that when when I wanted to be an artist from, you know, day dot. Um, So you've got to have good resilience, uh, a good backbone, uh, thick skin, because you can get rejection, you know, and I think that's helped. You know, obviously a lot of rejection back when I could see as an artist and obviously double rejection when I can't see as an artist. So I just, you know, I I worked hard. I was working on this this colour-coded braille. I finally got an exhibition and the exhibition toured and you know, you make your own luck as an artist, need luck. And just happened to be that I created some plaques for a a charity called Vision Foundation. And that that Vision Foundation raised 3000 pounds for the charity. And so it just happens that the director of a major gallery in London was at that gala. And that was it, that changed my life. You know, Qantas Gallery, meeting James, um, and he said to me, didn't chat about the art, just chatting about how we're chatting about now, about my life, turned around and said to me, right, uh, I, I'm going to keep you on a retainer. Now any artist in their right mind, you know, a retainer is gold, You know, no matter what, you know, the idea is like, you know, it, I suppose it's a professor getting, um, uh, you know, in your school, you know, you're, you're set for life. You're never going to get sacked. So <laughs> as a retainer as an artist, it's great. You know, I just create the artwork and the gallery sells it and, you know, win-win for everyone and I had my first major exhibition in London in January, and my world blew up. I mean, I think Christine's phone blew up because she got me on the Google Alerts. Uh, yeah. I was on Sky, Sky News, BBC, Channel 5, Euronews. I even looked the other day, I found it on the New Jersey Library website. <laughs> um, I was everywhere, I was even in Korea, in the Korean Herald, that's how far and wide I went. You know, and that's the beauty, having a platform, Having a platform has made me you know; it's given me the impetus. I go to these schools now. Every these schools are ringing me up saying, "Can you come into school?" And next week, I'm off to a school in Essex. So it really changed my life. But by pushing hard, you know, you have to work hard at anything you do in life.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I want to point out that that um, for for those that are listening, and and I want that to land well and stick. That it was hard work. I mean, Clark came into to um our thriving blind academy membership calls every monday like 80 percent of the mondays you were there even even traveling all over london and and talking to all of these art galleries and all you showed up for for all of those mentoring calls and and i'll never forget the one mentoring call when and this is a big part of being brilliant the resilient is asking for help when when you were about to go out back out into the world when all of the the lockdowns were were freed up and all that and you said in that call i've i've had a lot of vision loss since i was out in the world give me some give me some tips and some strategies of how i can do this this and this and everyone in the call was giving their strategies to you and i thought that was one of the most brilliant things of all the brilliant things that you've done is to come in there and say now i built this I'm able to get out there, but, uh-oh, there's this one facet that I need help with. And, and you asked for help and got it.
1: And that's it. And, and that's the, you know, people people think that, obviously, we talk about kid gloves with blind people. You know, if I need help, you know, I have a mouth, I'll ask for help. You know, I'm a very independent person. You know, going to London a lot. I mean, if you've never been to London, it's, um, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare when you can see. Can you imagine if you can't see? So... Learning the tube, all the different places I'm going on, the, you know, London Underground. So that's been exciting because I love learning new stuff. Um, and I suppose that leads me into learning London in a new way. So uh, what we in now? Uh, June. So literally eight weeks ago, I ran the London Marathon. Uh, and I've got my medal here. And the medal, first time, has got braille on it. And it reads, we run together. And literally... That is a great slogan because two miles out, my guide runner carried me across the line because my hips went um, after you know after 24 miles. But I did it. It was an amazing achievement. I did it, and I've signed up for next year. Oh my god, oh, that is
2: incredible. That is incredible. I will watch you from the sidelines in my chair here on the live stream. Not <laughs> <Stop laughs> running anywhere. <match. laughs> But that you know, that, is, and it, that is also, I mean, Clark,
0: talk about for a second here. I yeah. I watched your social media, the the dehydration, the the your feet were like I don't even know how you uh, were able to stand for weeks after that.
1: My feet are still recovering. I mean, I, I, yeah, like my foot is still growing new skin as we speak. Um, but it was one of those things. Yeah, you know, I always want to do it when I had sight. You know, it's one of those bucket list things, and. You know, only 1% of the population does a marathon, you know, and you realise why, you know, you could train for it physically, but you can't train for it mentally. It's a mentally tough race. And what's is great is obviously it rained on that day. So I think I, I experienced a marathon like no one else had, right? I experienced it through sound. I was hearing the splashing of the puddles. I was hearing the rustling of other people with their whatever they were wearing. And the crowds, we had these big signs with our names on it at the front and they're there so that complete strangers will shout your name out to give you encouragement. I mean, that is amazing. It truly is. So I want to kind of jump around a little bit here. You talked
2: about the mental preparedness for this and you're clearly, you know, a wonderfully effusive, enthusiastic person. But how did you get to that point? Because I would imagine that, you know, there's some pretty rough periods in all of all of this and in this transformation and everything. How do you make that transition? How did you mentally prepare yourself? Not only for, you know, doing the things you're doing now, but the initial sight loss, how do you do that?
1: I think it's, it's the upbringing. I, I, you know, I've not come from money. Uh, you know, I grew up in a council estate, uh, very low income. I've said it many times. If I never found out, I wouldn't be here. Uh, my brother, uh, literally it's only two years between us. Um, he chose the other path. And unfortunately, five years ago, he was found dead in a street corner, homeless. So, you know, that for me, it, it really did. You know, the majority of my friends who grew up in, in a council flat were either dead in jail or a substance abuse, you know, and I never went down that path. I could have, but I, I found art at a very early age, and that step, set me through bad kidneys. So I had bad kidneys in my teens, so I left school very early. But my fighter got back into higher education, um, and then obviously, sight loss. But then I never felt it as like, oh my god, I'm losing my sight because I've always had art in my life, you know, it, it was one of those obstacles that, right? So now the sight's gone. I'm gonna be the artist I wanted to be from the age of six, so I never lost that that dream, that that hardness, that mentality of, of being better, being trying to break the uh, the cycle. You know, it's hard when you're in that situation. It's so hard to break out of it. You know, and I wanted to. I wanted to better myself. You know, and that's always been in my mind to better myself.
0: How has that been in your mind? Did you have a, a role model that you followed? Did that that was just something innate?
1: No, no role model. You know, my dad, my real dad, was in the navy. Never saw him. um abusive stepdad, so that was wasn't a role model. My role, my my role model was my sketchbook. If that makes sense, it was literally what I could put on paper. What I I take all that, whatever I suppose back then was, you know, probably some. P.S.D. or something, you know, really bad stuff going on. But my sketchbook was there. It was my my shrink, it was my mm. role model. It was everything. You know, that sketchbook was my life. And without that those sketchbooks, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you now. I wouldn't be having fun. I would I wouldn't be a character in your book, Christine. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not really funny. That is that. You know, I've done a lot of things in, in the last couple of years, but that I mean, my my daughter instantly recognized me in my brow suit uh, and it's, it's it's amazing i just i just keep smiling time i think that i'm a character in a children's book it's just bizarre
0: <laughs> i mean i mean you embody the book is called for those that don't know my children's book that just came out is what i can be is up to me and the whole thing is about don't let the world tell you what you can or can't be it is completely up to you. And I didn't even know your whole backstory, Clark. I just knew you from from our world now. And you are 100 percent that title. I mean, you declared what you were going to be in this world and didn't let anybody
1: stop you from the time you were little. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really weird, you know, because usually as an artist, right, usually you would have a granddad or an uncle or someone in the family it's quite artistic, you know, because actually you copy and, you know, my daughter copies me. She's oh my, she's going to be an amazing artist. But I I have no idea where it's come from. I really don't, you know. I mean, I keep telling Kristen I want to be famous. I do want to be famous. I want to be on shows in the, in the UK. We've got one Who Do You Think You Are, where they look for your backstory and stuff. I mean, there must be, you know, I must have some ancestor who's a famous creative long down the line. It would be amazing to find that out. But, you know, and the idea of being famous is to change people's perception of what per- someone could do in, as a blind person in the creative industry. You know, how cool would it be to have a, a, a you know, in the future have a, a fund where I can help other vision impaired children be wherever they want to be in the creative industry—behind the camera, front of the camera, a poet, an actor, you know, anything they want to be—and I can help facilitate that. You know, that's what I want to do.
2: You know, I'm listening to you talk about your sketchbook being your role model, and that really hit me because I think when people are in really uh, challenging times, and this is kind of what I want our listeners to, to get out of this, there is always something that still feeds you. And sometimes the way that gets you through and pulls you out of that is to just latch onto that thing when there doesn't seem to be anything else. And as you said, don't lose that dream. Don't lose that desire, whether it's a creative thing, whether it's, you know, something that you like to do in service to other, whatever it is. Sometimes when people are at their lowest, they don't know where to go. And there is almost always something within you still, some spark, but you have to feed it.
1: That's it. And, you know, and, you know, I I love doing art, you know, I love being this artist I am now, but what what? Being blind has made me a better person and a better artist. It's made me appreciate art that I never did before. And also the engagement. I would I would never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be going into schools and be an inspiration. You know, I mean that that is amazing. Someone who who's come from nothing to this point, And I've still got 40 years left of my life hmm. that I can still want to push, push, push. You know, I I, I as an artist, we always say you can know, half your so I'm 21 now. So keep going. That's what I just say. <laughs>
0: well, I want I want people to to also um, to also understand this. In in all of my my um, talking with, interviewing, um, being on calls with, mentoring with people in the blind community. One of the the common thread, and actually, even in in building the resilient too. Now that I think about all of our interviews, there's a common thread in finding something that lights you up. Like Clark, you're saying you had the sketchbook and art. You know, when my boys were playing sports, when they still had enough vision, and then the vision declined, we we use that as an opportunity to uncover other things that they were interested in, Michael found music. And I actually, I think just like you, Clark, that that it was one of the biggest blessings for, for especially Michael that his sports had to end because he was not destined to play sports. He was destined to be in the creative field. We uncovered his talent and love for music in middle school, very hard time for most kids in middle school. And that's where Michael started to really grow and flourish when most kids were crashing. In middle school, because he found that one thing. Now, Michael probably has 17 things that light him up, but it was that music, that talent, that love that really kept him on a trajectory of of growing. And Mitchell found he found a different way with music that he more he can listen and then communicate things about music as opposed to playing it. But I think I know from talking to so many people, that is a common thread in people being resilient and, and really coming into their purpose in this world. And and I think as parents with, with all the love in our hearts, we do it. We do it with love for our kids to try to guide them and push them where we think that they should be instead of letting, and we want to fix everything for them. But when we let it go, when we let the hard stuff happen, let them figure it out and let them uncover what their passions are, that's when, when we have the big turnarounds and the ahas.
1: It's true. It's true. It's like, it's really strange how we go through life and, not—and you know, people fall in and out of love of art. You know, majority of people, they do art when they're younger and then they have a proper career uh, and then they, then they fall back into art in later life, you know, and um, that's quite sad. You know, I think every job. No matter what you're doing, every job needs that spark of creativity. Even if you're in an office, you know you need that spark of creativity. You know it's it, it, it's always you know the idea we're living too serious of a, of a life now. You know, let's get back to being a that six year old going into galleries and drawing in that sketchbook. You know, it's you know if COVID has not taught us anything, it's, it's taught to us to live a life a, a life of fulfillment. You know, life is short, and you want you want to put the best you can. And uh, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, and um, I'm doing it all, all across the UK um, and America. I think a lot of people know me in America, which is great. And um, I hope to come over more often to the States. Um, as you can see, I'm a great talker. I don't need notes. Um, I, love to, I love to be a keynote speaker. You know, Christy's always said, you, you've got to have it structured. But I, as an artist, I can't structure anything. You know, I just do it. I do it, I, re- I do it, I read the room. And I just do it, you know, because it's a passion. It's a passion of of my life. And I just I just bear it all because if someone in that room I can inspire through my talk, then I've done my job.
2: I can't think of a better way to wind up an episode than on something like that. You have been beyond delightful. I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to this episode. I kept asking Kristen, did you get Clark yet? Did you get Clark yet? Did you get Clark yet? (laughs) Because I so wanted to get more of your energy, which, again, came through. This was a couple years ago. Kristen had the summit and came through and you did not disappoint. I mean, you you gave us so many things to think about, not only within blindness, but to encourage people to keep looking for that spark and that thing that lights them up and to live with a little bit more joy. So, Clark, tell
1: us where we can find you and get more Clarkness. Uh, you can find me so uh, Instagram uh, theblindbrowartist. I love my Instagram, um, and obviously my website is my great website. Seeing without seeing, so all lowercase. Seeing without seeing, and then you have got links to there to my podcast, which we're not talked about art and sight, which I talk about art, and uh, the Qantas Gallery where you can purchase all my gorgeous art. Because if you don't post it now, I guarantee next year it'd be worth double. All right, so you've got to get in now before it goes double and quadruple. So if you've got a young family and you want to put them through college, invest in my art right now. <laughs> I
0: love you so much.
2: I can't think of a better pitch. That was phenomenal. You should be writing pitches too. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: oh I love gosh, That's, Clark. It's great. Thank you.
1: Fantastic.
2: I love it. I
0: love it. Thanks so much for, for coming in here today and for always re-energizing me. Um, and the world, and I, as I'm watching you change all of these perceptions, you're not just changing perceptions of blindness. You are changing perceptions of resilience, hard perceived hardships, challenges, and and having a heck of a lot of fun doing it all. So thanks for, and for, for those that are looking to, to um, are interested in the children's book that has Clark in there in his yellow suit with the braille dots and a little sign that says, please touch the art. It's at what I can be is up to me.com. Thanks everybody for, for being here. And if you would like to have more tips on living brilliantly resilient every week, go to brilliantlyresilient.net, get our brilliance bit. It is a less than one minute read and we will deliver it right to your email inbox. We'll see y'all next time.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise and reveal your brilliance.